Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So the whole world has been talking about, as you know, the Chinese balloon. Weather balloon, communications balloon, espionage balloon. China says it was just one of those things that had drifted over North America, first Canada, then the United States. And they're very upset that the Americans have the temerity to shoot down the balloon. Very upset. And uh, I, I mentioned this earlier. United States Air Force General Mike Minahan, in an internal communication last week, warned that the United States and China, quote, his words, quote, will fight in 2025, end quote. He went on to say he hopes not, but he thinks that's going to happen. So what do we make now out of the balloon incident? And uh, our guest, Dr. Christian Luprecht, just want to add this, because we're going to talk about this as well, wrote a 2018 op-ed titled China's Silent Invasion of Western Universities and pointed to three Canadian universities, Waterloo, Toronto, and McGill, as being particularly a focus of China and the People's Liberation Army. Now, you know that this past week, and we talked about this some yesterday, this past week, Federal Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne criticized Canadian universities for collaboration with China's military scientists and declared new national security guidelines were on the way. And uh, another story here, the Globe and Mail reports 50 Canadian universities have conducted extensive research with China's military since 2005. Dr. Christian Luprecht, professor at Queen's University and the Royal Military College, Eisenhower Fellow at the NATO Defense College in Rome, among senior fellow in security and defense at the Macdonald-Laurier Institute. His new book is Polar Cousins, Comparing Antarctic and Arctic Geostrategic Futures. So, Christian, we talked yesterday. Thank you for coming back on the program. So what do we make of this? The Americans deciding to shoot down the Chinese balloon, uh, staged indignation in return by China. No one, I, I imagine, is really surprised the Americans took that action. Uh, what do you make of what's happened in the last 24 hours? Well, then I think General Monaghan is wrong about conflict in 2025. And I think it is exemplary of the Western misunderstanding of warfare in the cultural concept of both China and Russia. Those two adversaries in particular already see themselves at war with us. If we understand their strategic doctrine and we understand the history of uh, of, of of the way they conceive of warfare. For them, warfare isn't necessarily a hot kinetic conflict. It is a full spectrum of hybrid activities um, to undermine and take on uh, those countries and those actors that they believe um, uh, uphold an international order that does not work in their best interest. And so to that effect, um, understanding it that way, we are in an active conflict and from their perspective, in engaged in active war, just not in kinetic war. Um, and so all these actions that we're observing very much play into this particular perspective of seeing the world. And I think one of our faults is that we do not understand that our adversaries view conflict with us very differently than we do. And so this constrains our ability to respond effectively uh, to their continued efforts to try to um, undermine us um, militarily, diplomatically, politically, economically, socially, wherever they can. So, so what were the what were the Chinese trying to do? What was the intent? 
with this balloon. They, it, it didn't drift off course. It's not a weather balloon trying to check the jet stream. We all know that. But what was their intent? I think so. The U.S. will try to demonstrate some of that. That, I think, was part of the intent behind shooting it down, trying to collect some of that evidence. And uh, if they can demonstrate what technology was on that balloon, then to lay it out in the way you might in a police investigation to show what was behind this for the world to see. I think there were a couple of elements to this. One is that uh, just last week, uh, the United States announced a deal with uh, the Philippines about staging rights uh, for uh, particular Philippine bases um, and those in particularly close proximity to Taiwan. And so China likely knew that this announcement was coming and so was trying to pull a finger in the eye of the United States that if uh, the U.S. moves into China's neighborhood more closely, China wanted to demonstrate that it could do likewise. But I think at the same time, China, I think, was trying to put on display some of its high-tech um, intelligence collection capabilities. And I think this is why the United States is particularly interested in um, what exactly is on this balloon to see whether there's any technology here um, that the United States had not realized that China has. And we can point here to the launch of um, uh, the test of hypersonic uh, missiles by China uh, last year and the alarms that that caused in Washington in terms of uh, the technological advancements that China now has, which essentially uh, increasingly allow China to take on the United States and its Western allies at eye level. So you, you don't believe that there's going to be a shooting war or a confrontation, an actual confrontation, well, shooting war, limited or otherwise, between China and, and the United States uh, by 2025 or any time in the near future? Uh, I would say that that prospect is probably higher with China than it is with a country such as Russia. And you can already see where the conflict with Russia is going um, in the sense that China and the United States do not have, for instance, the deconfliction protocols that Russia and the United States have had since the beginning of the Cold War. And so I think if there is a hard shooting war, it is likely less likely to be as a result of explicit intent by China and rather as the result of miscommunication or misunderstanding on the two sides uh, that leads to uh, consequences that will subsequently be very difficult to contain. So here we are, the northern neighbor of the United States, NORAD partner, and the balloon was over our territory. And we did, as you and I talked about yesterday, essentially nothing. We've called the Chinese ambassador on the floor, on the carpet, in, in Ottawa. I'm sure they were very impressed by that. And the Minister of National Defense, Minister Anand, has now said that she supports the action by the United States. What is our, what is our role? What is Canada's role in all of this as these developments uh, go forward, Christian? Well, it appears that in particular, this government takes the approach that Canada has taken for decades, which is to draft behind our most important strategic ally, that is the United States, and insofar as possible, try to thread the needle as a middle power, trying to maintain sort of somewhat sort of workable relations with China, uh, while at the same time trying to pretend to be a loyal 
uh, ally of both the United States and the defense of the continent and of the Western alliance, both NATO and broader partner countries. Um, and I think what this incident demonstrates is yet another um, piece of evidence that this needle is just impossible to thread and that uh, Canada's unwillingness or inability to take a clear stance of matters uh, simply, simply makes us look weak uh, in the eyes of China. Um, and that we shouldn't be surprised uh, that China does not take us seriously uh, as the incident between uh, uh, the, between China and the prime minister uh, in Asia at a recent meeting demonstrates where essentially uh, China was out to humiliate the Canadian prime minister and trying to demonstrate very clearly that it does not respect this country and it does not take this country seriously. Just in a generic sense, what should Canada be doing? What can we do? To remind uh, the remind China that we're not here to be pushed around. We're not simply um, a, a knock it over toy. We we may be. I don't know. Our military situation is obviously not what it should be. But uh, what can we do? What should we be doing to create a greater sense of respect from Beijing for this country? I think the Australians have been able to accomplish that by pushing back against China. Have they not? Yeah, and I think what the Australians have is a very different sense of their security environment. They're a country of about two-thirds of the size in terms of population and economy uh, in a neighborhood of about half the world's population, and most of their neighboring countries um, are at best cordial relations and in many cases very difficult relations. And so uh, the Australians have long realized that the world is a dangerous place, that you need to stand up for yourself, and if you want to be taken seriously uh, by your partners, let alone by your adversaries, you need to bring to the table real capabilities. And I think in this country, we've always sort of pretended that much of the troubles of the world sort of are far away and when in doubt that other countries will sort of look after them. But of course, the lessons, not just from World War I and II, but also if you look at, for instance, uh, in quotation marks, peacekeeping operations that were never meant to be peacekeeping, they were always intended to try to prevent a broader uh, calamity of war between the two superpowers, have always intended to contribute to global stability. And what we've really lost over the last 20 years is both the capability and the intent uh, to continue to play our role in preserving global stability and the international order that has served us so well. And the government discovering now in a very hard way uh, that uh, these capabilities and capacities are very difficult to rebuild on short notice. Christian, when it, uh, when it comes to this whole issue about China's, as, as your op-ed was titled in 2018, China's silent invasion of Western universities. And you start by saying Waterloo, Toronto, and McGill universities are touting their ranks among the best universities in the world. They also have the dubious distinction of ranking in the top 10 universities outside of China for collaboration with the People's Liberation Army, the armed wing of the Communist Party of China, as measured by the number of peer-reviewed publications co-authored by PLA researchers between 2006 and 2017. <laughs> the federal government is now going to issue guidelines on the relationships that should exist between the PLA and universities. What, what's going on? Well, I guess it's never too late, Roy, now is it? I guess it's just a pretty slow-burning fuse in Ottawa. Um, the tragedy here is, of course, to administer Champagne's reaction. You know, It's not like, as I point out, 
we haven't known about this for the last five years. And yet, uh, you know, even initially when I said on the Council of the um, uh, of the National uh, Natural Sciences and Research Engineering Council of Canada, there was considerable resistance at the time to uh, have any sort of review of any sort of activities according to a national security framework. And look, there's now this relatively modest review of a small amount of grants, the Alliance grants, uh, and it turns out that one third of those turned up problematic relationships. So the the problem is as pervasive as it has ever been. Um, and it's tragic that university presidents just pretend that this isn't happening because they fear for tuition from Chinese students. And they believe that this is good for the universities in terms of high tech research. And I think that this is just inexcusable because, I mean, the hypocrisy in this country that on the one hand, we're concerned about human rights abuses in China, in particular in Xinjiang, and yet at the same time, uh, Canadians are happy to fund and university presidents are happy to condone uh, collaboration by Canadian researchers that enable precisely the sort of technology, for instance, that then allows China to engage not just in gross human rights abuses within its own country, but that enables digital authoritarianism around the world. And Canadians need to remember, I mean, they put $1.3 billion into the Natural Sciences and Engineering Research Council of Canada a year. Um, and uh, so their own taxpayers are going to funding the very technology um, that threatens the interna international world order, that threatens global stability, that enables human rights abuses, uh, and that enables China to, for instance, uh, provide the sort of technology uh, that just floated over North America uh, in that infamous balloon. And so I think Canadians need to start thinking twice whether that's exactly where they want their tax dollars to go, rather than letting the self-interest by a few university presidents and a few uh, egotistical self-centered researchers uh, in this country that are not prepared to fess up uh, to uh, the activities uh, in which they are engaging with uh, with Chinese collaborators. Um, at the same time, we do need to realize that on some areas, we probably need to work together. You know, if it's, for instance, climate change or so, so it's not an obvious area to parse. And if you think about electric vehicle batteries, where provinces such as Ontario have decided to go all in. That's an area where China has disproportionate capabilities and advantage. So how exactly we try to parse uh, this problem is not immediately evident. But the fact that we're five years late on this conversation in this country shows again that our national security system and our overall posture when it comes to innovation and, uh, and economic prosperity is simply not fit for, for purpose for the 21st century. So disturbing to hear this. Uh, and, and so many of us have not really been aware of the depth of the issue. And I, I just found out the other day when I was reading some of the media reports, and I'd like to credit um, the media organization where I read this. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I just don't remember who wrote it. But it was uh, words to the effect that the PLA scientists, People's Liberation Army scientists, that our Canadian researchers are working with, the PLA uh, researchers, include experts on missile guidance systems. So we're actually working with the people who are working on missile guidance systems for, well, what we hope will never take place. I mean, well, look, we can't close our eyes and just throw our wallet on the table. 
what's interesting is, so people might say, well, you know, this problem is so pervasive, there's nothing really we can do about it, or, you know, the, 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 this, these collaborations are everywhere, so we can't disentangle them. Well, it turns out there's two other more recent reports uh, now in terms of uh, international university collaborations uh, with China. These are all open access, available to the public. Uh, again, the same universities feature very prominently, and I call on university presidents to do the right thing and to actually step up um, and, and follow through. We live in a democracy democracy that needs to be defended, and we need to reflect those values in our research. But look at the United States. Uh, they don't show up in the highest sort of uh, in the top ranked universities in terms of collaborations with China. Why? Because the United States has years ago already put out very robust guidelines. And not just that, the United States has actually moved to arrest researchers and try them who have deliberately and intentionally violated those guidelines. Could you imagine in Canada actually taking those steps when people are being deceptive about their research affiliations with China? Maybe there is a better solution and maybe we can turn to the United States and we can get a better grip on how we can make sure that our research dollars benefit not just Canada, but also the sort of world that we want to live in, rather than funding the high technology by our adversaries um, that are looking to undermine us. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 